Evening, everyone. That's all right. You want me to do a reading? I said, no, evening, everyone. <laughs> do you want to do a reading? Um, hi, uh, if you haven't met me yet, my name's Chris. Um, come and say hello at the end. Uh, as Ben said, we always have pizza and wine and stuff. And the idea of that is because we, we do want to be a community. And, and so don't, don't feel like you have to rush off. Equally, if you want to rush off, you can rush off too. You don't have to say hello. But it would be nice if you wanted to. Um, as Ben said, we're starting a new series called Who Are We? Um, why are we doing this series? Well, if we're being honest, I think most of us in life actually don't really know if we know who we are. We're kind of like bumbling along, trying to figure out um, who am I and, and what's going on. Um, we're always discovering new things about ourselves. So even if you think you've got it sorted a year ago, then life changes a bit and you're in this new territory and you're a bit like, oh, I'm, I'm not really sure who I'm at in this time and space. Um, so we're constantly learning about who we are. Um, there's, there's an unknowingness to life, I think. And it feels like it's been ratcheting up the last few years as well, doesn't it? This kind of like... I'm not, I thought I had it all figured out, and now I don't. Um, so we feel like um, God wants us to explore this bigger question of who are we across a series. So it's not all going to happen tonight. Um, there's no way I could do that. There's no way anyone could do that. Um, so uh, we're going to be doing this over the next few months. Let's start off with a different question, though. Um, why do we buy stuff we don't need? Anyone done that? Who did that over lockdown? Yeah, we all did. Come on, be honest. Two people put their hands up. I know you're lying. Um, I did it. I always do it. I once convinced myself that for a Christmas present, the most perfect Christmas present was this. A Grands Falls Brooks Swedish broad axe. Straight handle double bevel. I don't even know what that means. I just saw on Instagram this axe, this perfect axe. And in my head, I thought, I could be a woodsman. I could do that. Um, I can't, but I'd seen it on Instagram. And, and you know how social media does that to us, doesn't it? Um, and partly it's because modern marketing knows how we work. So what modern marketing does is it doesn't target our need or how good a product is. Marketing targets are two primary drives, the two things that drive us in life. Um, and our two primary drives, I'll come on to in a minute, but it, it goes to our subconscious desires. My subconscious desire was obviously to look quite hard with an axe, which doesn't actually fit well in broccoli zone two, does it? You walk around with an axe, people look at you a bit weird. Um, I didn't do that, so don't worry. Um, so we have these two primary desires or drives in life. I want and I fear. Now, I'm also going to caveat this with, I think that that is a result of the fall. I think that's a result of disconnection from God. But either way, there are two primary things that kind of push us forwards in life, and that is that I want and I fear. Um, I also want to acknowledge, like, not all desires are bad. I think sometimes Christianity or church has painted a picture that, like, desires aren't good. Some desires are good. We're going to come on to this. Um, some of them aren't. We know this, right? But I just want to say, not all desires are bad. Um, but the thing is, is that this whole thing about being driven by this kind of primary desire or primary driver to fear, I think if we're going to be honest and, and we admit it, we're often plagued by kind of insecurities and fears. We're plagued by this feeling of not feeling good enough. Um, what's the, you know, the current term everyone likes? Imposter syndrome. We, we always like, oh, if I get found out, if people know what I'm really like, that's an insecurity there. If people know what I'm really like, then I won't be good enough. I won't be accepted or loved. Um, but that, so that's, that's kind of like what drives us in life. And modern marketing appeals to that. Um, 
let me just tell you a couple of cool things about the brain. I think a lot of it was covered over the last series. Um, but our brain is split into two hemispheres, your right brain and the left brain. When you say you love someone, what do you love them with? Your feet. Ben's feet are particularly ugly after football. You should see a picture of it. Um, what do you say? You love them with all your heart. Exactly. But do you love them with all your heart? No. Because it's just a muscle that pumps blood around the body. Um, it's not actually our heart. Um, but in terms of emotion, our right brain is what we used to think of as our heart. So the right side of our brain is where our emotions live. It's... Um, it's, and the left side of the brain is like conscious thought. So it's like it's my mind. So, you know, we say heart, what we really mean nowadays is the right brain and then my mind is the left brain. Um, and our subconscious desires and our fears are usually located in the right brain. Let me tell you something very cool about the brain. So the way the, inf the brain works is the information comes in at your bottom right-hand brain stem and it goes through your right brain, then somewhere behind your right eye, it flicks over to your left eye and goes back down again, and it goes in a loop. Um, so what happens is, is something happens, like information comes in, and in the right brain is your senses, so like smell, touch, taste, sight, what's the other one? Sound. Um, but we also have memory on, in our right brain or our heart. Um, we have our identity individual identity and group identity and this is what we're going to look at over this series and then also really importantly is that's the part of the brain or our heart where we have relational attachments um, so an example of what that might look like is one of my senses is triggered I smell a scent that um, uh, reminds me of a primary school teacher so you smell something it goes in at your right brain and then it goes through there, it triggers your memory banks, it triggers all these things and then it will go over and go around the, um, the loop of the the brain that I just described. You all get that, right? Great, thanks. Um, and then it goes through the left part of the brain, and the left part of the brain is conscious thought, so it's the, the thoughts you have in your head that you're aware of, speech, strategies, logic, problem, solve, problem solving, and things like that. Now, here's the point of me telling you that bit of information, um, is that because information travels through that right brain or the heart first, if there's some sort of trauma or disconnect or kind of brokenness in my heart or that part of the brain, the information really struggles to properly take root on the other side. Now, um, my mum and dad are foster parents. I've shared that before. And what I know about um, families with foster kids is that foster kids often will struggle at school. It's not their fault. That there's been some sort of trauma. And actually, school should be way more accommodating and kind and loving to those guys because it's not their fault. They're not choosing to not listen. But we can see into people's brains over the last 20 years and we can see that the trauma means that they can't actually, we can't learn properly. We can't receive the information that we need. So the right brain, our heart, essentially our heart acts as a filter for information and that it's hard for my left brain to receive. So if I have an issue with my heart, let's say it's my identity because this is what this whole series is on and there's a breakdown in there, then actually whatever you tell me at church isn't going to take root. You'd be like, yeah, okay, that's fine. You tell me that stuff. But actually there's a slight disconnect. There's a blockage in the flow of information. This is amazing. God made our brains amazingly well. But so for me to have a healthy perception of who I am, I need God to do a work in my heart. 
And that's really why we did the last series, wasn't it, on emotionally healthy spirituality, is that we love you guys and we just want all of us to start getting a bit healthier. We all want to be moving forward in life. We all want to start to be um, being healed from our past and move forward so that we can start to receive the knowledge of who we are and what God's got for us. So healthy, having a healthy perception of myself, which is that kind of heart stuff in the right brain, is essential to knowing who I am and what I'm here to do. And because our thinking starts subconsciously, it's before we even know it, um, then I'm, I'm unconscious a lot of the time of what's really going on. Um, that right-hand part of the brain takes in more information per second than the left brain. So by the time I'm even aware of it, then actually my brain's already run a loop and started to kind of distort what I think about myself, which is where it's so important that as a community, we're going to start to dig into who am I, who are we, but actually who are we in the light of what God says and who God is as well. Um, and the whole, we're driven by our emotions. You can see this, um, this is, sorry if you right wing, this is why the right wing keep winning elections. Um, I once worked for the UN, I worked for the UN Migration Agency, and um, we were sat around a table and there was a lady who'd come to do a seminar on cognitive linguistics. Essentially, what you say and what that makes people think and feel. Um, and we went around the table and there was, uh, I was there for the UN Migration Agency. You had UNHCR, um, UNICEF, Amnesty International, all these people around the table. And uh, she's saying, oh, what are you guys doing at the moment? And they've got somebody's working on a new bill for parliament. Someone's working on a new campaign. Someone else is working on a new project. And uh, she just looks at us and she just goes... No one gives an, a fudge, she didn't say fudge, what you lot are doing. So no one cares, absolutely no one cares. She goes, do you know who we were at school? We were the guys at school no one listened to. Do you know who we still are? We're still the guys that no one's listening to. And what she explained was that we were completely irrelevant and that we were losing ground on what we were trying to do. And what I was working, we were doing a lot of work with refugees, so we were trying to use that to integrate them into the UK. Um, she went on to make the point that if I could empirically prove, which people have, why migrants and refugees are good for the economy, I will still lose because I'm trying to use my left brain logic and the right wing will use the right brain, which is I want and I fear. I fear the other and I want more and I'm scared they'll take it from me. So, and this isn't a party political broadcast, but that is why the right keep on winning. And the thing is, this is logical. You look, at what's, you look at what's going on, and I don't know why they keep winning, but they do, because most of us probably don't buy it. But obviously a lot of people do, because they keep on inexplicably getting in. Anyway, that's the end of my political rant. Um, so sorry to break it to you, but we are less rational than we think we are. We are driven by our emotions and our feelings. Many of us struggle with our emotions and our feelings and can feel quite anxious or fearful or sometimes have overwhelming feelings of desire and want. We don't want to admit it, admit it, but if we're being really honest, I think our culture at large is plagued by insecurity. It's absolutely plagued by this, this sense of fear um, and it feels like it's getting worse. But we don't want this though, do we? None of us want this, let's be honest. Um, we want to look strong. Maybe like an axe man. Um, no, no, not really. Um, we want to know that deep down that we can do it. We want people around us to think deep down that we can do it, that we've got what it takes. Um, we also just don't do fear or failure well. And it can feel like we're constantly 
competing either with ourselves to try and be better because of our insecurity, or it feels like we're constantly competing with other people and that we never measure up. Or if we measure up, it might feel like it's only temporarily, that we can't do it for the long term, and then we have to go again and again and again. And at the core of this issue of fear and insecurity, this feeling that I'm not good enough, I'm not lovable enough, is because of a huge disconnect between us and the God who created us. We all desperately want to be loved and accepted. I think that's the primary desire, the healthy desire of our heart. Just, will you love me? Will you accept me? Will you take me in as you see me? And when we have this disconnect from God, then we start to have a false identity about ourselves. It's either an identity that we've constructed for ourselves. Usually it's as a keep away from me. I'm putting up a barrier and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you know who I am. Or at worst, it's sometimes it feels like people have put things on us. This is who you are. And they start to determine who they think we are with their words. And when we grow up, then those roots can really take, those words can take root and can start to form us in both good and bad ways. So we want to explore this big question of who are we? Um, ben spoke last week um, and Ben mentioned it. It's one of the biggest questions in life um, because not, not knowing who we are can lead to a real sense of purposeness because if I don't know who I am, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Has anybody ever been given a job without, without a job title? It's just a bit like, I don't, I don't really know why I'm here. What am I supposed to do? Like title often denotes function. How we title something denotes what we're here to do and who we're here to be. So as I said, we started this new series, Who Are We? Um, and it's important that we know who we are because I think that we all want purpose. We all want to be doing stuff. None of us want to be doing nothing with our lives. Um, and, and for me, the root of it all is who are we in the light of God? Um, and the reason that we've called it Who Are We? and not who am I, is because it's impossible to form identity in isolation. I say it again, it's impossible to form identity, to find out who you are in isolation. Because um, sociologists call it um, socialization. That we, um, we, we discover who we are through the crowd that we're with. Usually it's your family as you're growing up. So you see social norms or values or behaviors that are socially acceptable. Those sort of things start to form who we are. It occurs through observation and interaction over time. I've got a, um, a toddler, he's called Lincoln. He, um, he's in this phase of hitting. Um, so if he hits you at church, I'm sorry, but it's not my fault, it's just his face. And, uh, and, and what I say to Lincoln is not, you don't hit, because I also don't want to shame him. I'm like, we don't hit. Actually, as a family, we don't hit. This is who we are. And actually, he's starting to learn who he is through this group identity stuff. Um, we start to see our image shaped by the group, for good or for bad. Um, and this is where you can start to see um, generational issues perpetuated. Um, we start to crowd around my family's definition of success. Or maybe a socially constructed definition of beauty. Or a socially constructed definition of what it is to be good enough, or to be gifted, or to be cool, or even to be a Christian sometimes in churches. And guess what happens by default? We start to look not like the originals that God created us to be, but like cheap faded copies. And all of a sudden we start to get agitated and annoyed at other people. And we start to say things like, 
that's, that's my role, or that's my job, or that's my thing. Or sometimes it can feel like it with friendships, if we're being honest. Somebody's like, hey, no, that's my best friend. You're not allowed to sit next to them or to be with them as well. Like we can start to feel insecure. And because of that, we then start to, we've invented this concept of being a hater, haven't we? That we start to dislike other people who are a self-perceived threat to our identity. We already dislike ourselves because we know we're not really being true to who we're called to be. Um, we, because we're just being these cheap copies. Um, also, last week, Ben spoke on um, being made in the image of God. But the problem is, is we don't actually know who God is. Then we don't know who we are. And we don't know what we're meant to do. Humanity was originally created to be the mirror of God's goodness. We bore the imprint of God's very nature um, and we shared his ability to love, to be generous, to be wise, and to live forever. Our true identity, identity lay in our likeness to God, and to be fully human meant to share God's nature of love. However, at the fall and Adam and Eve's um, act of rebellion, we forfeited our likeness to God and instead became a subject to physical decay and folly. In other words, we became less than human, less than we were designed to be, consumed by desire, not for God and the good things that he has for us, but for things that destroy our life, namely our own selfishness or our prideful hostility. We lost our dignity as God-like people and compared to the staggering greatness of what we were intended for, we became faint shadows or cheap copies of our former selves. In losing the divine image, we lost our true humanity. Um, theologians would say, now God is faced with a dilemma. I mean, I don't think he was, but it sounds nice, doesn't it? God is faced with a dilemma. How is he to restore the divine likeness? Um, one of the early church fathers is a guy called Athanasius. Um, don't worry about ever remembering that unless you study theology. Um, but he says it like this. What was God to do? What else could he do but renew his image in humanity so that through humanity it might once more become known? And this couldn't be done except by the coming of the very image himself, our saviour, Jesus Christ. God knew he certainly couldn't ask us to try a bit harder. He knew that he couldn't ask us to be a bit more sorry or to try better next time or to try to be more secure. Have you ever been upset and people say, oh, just don't be upset? You're like, oh yeah, all right, and thanks. I've stopped being upset now. Thanks for that, didn't think about that. Like, you can't make people change by just asking them to be better. What was needed was a change in our very inner nature, not an external performance. And he does this through the person of Jesus. Jesus is the picture of what humanity is meant to be. He is our standard and he is our goal. What we see him do, we're meant to do. Who we see him be, we're meant to be. Um, Bishop Graham Tomlin says this, Jesus is both the picture of the perfect human life and, at the same time, the image of the perfect God. To be perfectly like God is to be perfectly human. Jesus is the answer. Unless someone asks you what the time is and then give them the time. But other than that, Jesus is always the answer. Um, why, how is Jesus the answer? Well, we see it through his life, his teachings, and his death and resurrection. Um, 
Easter's coming, but I'm just going to give you kind of why his death and resurrection is so important for us as Christians. Because if it was just his life and his teachings, there's lots of people like that. What separates Jesus is the fact that he died and rose again. So when you read the accounts of Jesus' life, what we see increasingly throughout his life is like evil and darkness start to surround him like a great storm cloud. It starts to swirl around Jesus throughout the Gospels until at the final moment, just before Jesus is crucified, he speaks to this storm cloud and he says, this is your moment, the time when the darkness reigns. It's like all the powers of sin and darkness and death are being lured to and converge upon Jesus on the cross. And it's in that very moment that, bang, God destroys the power of sin and death converged in the flesh of Jesus. And the evidence for Jesus' victory over all that is the fact that we sang it earlier, death couldn't hold him down. Death held everyone else down. But it didn't hold him down. He rose again three days later. And he is free. He's free from those things. And he's freed us from those things. And what he's done is he's now freed us to choose to become the people that we were created to be. Free from insecurity. Free from anxiety. Free from fear. To be truly human. Filled with the spirit of God. And to know who we are and what we're here to do. That's why we sing those songs. If this is church, if church is new to you, that's why we sing. We sing these songs for our love for Jesus because he took all of our stuff, all of my insecurities, all my fears, all the things that weighed me down, and he destroyed it on the cross. He did it so that we could be free. And that if we choose to follow him, and it is always a choice, that we can start to become like him and to be the people that we we're born to be. There's a good question, which is, okay, well, if Jesus did all that on the cross, why am I still struggling? Why am I still struggling with my identity? Why am I still struggling with these things? There's other reasons for that. Partly the reason I want to talk about tonight is that um, when we choose to follow Jesus, the Bible says that we're born again. I think he's in the start of John. He says about becoming born again. Um, We're essentially new spiritual babies. Babies aren't born with any knowledge. They're essentially useless absolutely useless they don't know how to feed they don't have to sleep like I'm pretty sure they have to learn even how to poo like they're absolutely useless um they have to learn everything now I'm not saying that we have to learn to poo again um but as people of God we do need to learn who we are in the light of Jesus and the way he's made us so I didn't know him before I know him now I'm a spiritual baby I need to start to learn like a spiritual infant who he's called me to be what he said about me all those things that defined me before they're gone all those negative words that were spoken over me whether you were I was bullied at school I think most of us had a horrible experience at school like all your families or whatever like all those things that people said not true not true We've, once you become in, into God's family he's like I will tell you who you are We need to learn what it is to be with a good father. The father where we do receive all the love that we need, his love, and that that helps to make us secure. I think again in the last series we talked about secure attachment and things like that as well. If you haven't heard the series and they're podcasted, so please feel free to go back and listen to them. We need to learn to become more and more like him, which happens when we spend time with him to do the things he did and then we get to help other people do the same Um, we need to learn a new way of thinking when we come into God's kingdom when Jesus started his public ministry he started off with this message repent for the kingdom of God is at hand repent just means to change the way you think 
Jesus came to bring God's kingdom to earth and to fill this kingdom with new citizens who live differently to those who don't know him. When we follow Jesus, we're introduced into a new kingdom and we learn to live according to its values. Kingdom living requires a change of character. One of Jesus' disciples is a guy called Peter, um, and he never forgot this. And many years later, when he's, reading, uh, he's writing uh, one of his letters, he says this is a group identity statement. So as I said, identity is formed in the group. Um, and he says this, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. These words describe a new group of people inhabiting God's kingdom. Jesus himself lived out of a very strong sense of identity. Identity. He taught it to his disciples. In the Sermon on the Mount, which is um, two chapters in the book of Matthew, for those who don't know, Jesus starts to define what it looks like to be part of this chosen, royal, holy, special people group. And it's vital that we recognise that we're part of that group too. And as I said, we can't do this on our own. So the best way to do it is to do it with other people. It is impossible to have a healthy identity in isolation. We are made in the image of God, every single one of us. We'll probably talk about this more next week. I'm looking at Anne because she's preaching, so I'm just letting you know you're talking about that next week. Um, God is, we are made in the image of God. And God is a loving community. So God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one a loving community. Before all else, God was, and he was loving and he was in community. And we are made in his image. We are made to be designed. So we are designed to be in a loving community, to be defined by a loving community, and to thrive in a loving community. As a loving community ourselves, over the next months, few months, we're going to go on a journey of discovery. We're going to find out various aspects of God and ourselves and who we are as a group. Um, and the reason we want to do that is my heart for, for myself, for you, for us, is that we grow, that we start to shed off these insecurities, that we start to feel free to do the stuff that God wants us to do and not holding back by our past or our circumstances. I'm not saying those things aren't painful and they won't need some work and process and we need help, but I am saying we can be free. We talk a lot in this church, I mean, that's our vision statement about bringing heaven to southeast London. Um, and in that, for me, if I'm looking for evidence of heaven here in southeast London, I'm looking for people's lives to be changed. That's it. Has someone's life been changed for the better? Have they been set free? It's nothing to do with buildings. It's nothing to do with anything. That's all nonsense. It's people. The kingdom of God is people, and it's seeing lives that are transformed from feeling not whole broken, things like that, to be in people who know who they are and have a purpose. The New Testament unveils a beautiful picture of what kind of people live in God's kingdom. Although our world is still broken and confused, and Jesus talks about what kind of people we are and how we should live. How do we, as the people of God, behave when I'm angry at someone? How do we, as the people of God, behave and respond in the face of people's financial problems? How do we, as the people of God, treat people when we see a flaw in them? Jesus builds a strong base of identity and and he does it to help his followers to become the people that they're supposed to be. And he understands that we need to know, we, we need to know it, we need to know it from him, and that we often need to be reminded of it. 
I always need to be reminded of what God said about me because I forget, I wake up, I have a bad night's sleep or something happens or you get an email that annoys you. And basically being in community, I can then be with my friends who can say, that's not what God says. God hasn't said that about you, you're this person. And actually they can help me to see properly and to hear God properly. Being a follower in Jesus's, being a follower of Jesus, being a citizen in his kingdom involves an identity shift. We in church call this discipleship. Now also as a caveat, we're not meant to be clones. No one wants a clone. The, um, that's actually the opposite to God's creation. If you look at God's creation, it's beautifully diverse. It's incredibly different. You know, we all know that no one snowflake looks the same. That's because God values our diversity. So I'm not saying that we all need to kind of just melt into being one person. Um, here's a pattern from Jesus's life that I want us to understand and adopt. Um, well, whenever, today would be great, but you know, tomorrow's good too. In John 14, we read one of his disciples say to Jesus, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, if anybody loves me, they will follow my word. And by the way, the Greek word for that is logos, which is also Jesus. The message for Jesus is not, it's not the other word like the Bible and things like that. If, they follow, if anyone loves me, they will follow me essentially. And my father will love them. And we, which is God the Father, Son and Spirit, will come and make our dwelling with them. I'll repeat that again. If anyone loves me, they will follow my word and my father will love them and we will come to them and make our dwelling with them. God wants to live in and with us. He loves you that much. He wants to be around you all the time. We need to get that into our heads. He loves us that much. He wants to be with you all the time. I also want us to notice the order here. The, the, the disciple wonders why Jesus doesn't reveal himself to everyone. And Jesus reveals, says that he only reveals himself to those who love him. God can only be known through love. Love is the first step. Love is our foundation. Forming a loving attachment to God is the start of everything. If all you get out of this whole series is that you feel loved by God, you've done very well. That's my only goal. Because I think that through that, we'll get everything else. When we love Jesus and we are loved by Jesus, we allow his love to shape who we are. And I think we naturally then start to follow him and do the things that he says. Um, so when Jesus says, if you love me, you'll follow my word, you'll follow my commandments and other translations. What he's saying is, if you love me and you're loved by me, you'll naturally do it. It's not prove yourself by doing stuff. He's like, no, you'll just naturally do it. I once went to, um, I was on a mission in Mexico in a place called Tijuana, which was um, rife with um, human trafficking. Um, and it was, it was really, really unsafe. Um, but also it was quite fun at the same time. And so I, we were out doing some street ministry in this um, kind of real down and out part of town. And I remember praying for a guy and he was blind in one eye. He was homeless. He was covered in all of his own bodily fluids. Like it wasn't fun. It wasn't trendy. It wasn't hipster it was a real guy and I genuinely in that moment I've never had this before but I want more of it I felt absolute love for him total love for him I remember saying to him I don't know why I, I absolutely love you and I feel like it was just being so full of God's love that actually I naturally then was praying for him and helping him and you know trying to work with him through a translator but it was that thing of like I was just so full of God's love I just loved other people 
It just spills out of you. You can't help it. I'm coming into land now. Yeah, someone once said to Jesus, what's the purpose to life? But in the, in the context of the day, it was, um, what's the greatest commandment? And he said this, love your God, love your neighbour, love yourself. What will it look like when we become more like Jesus? We'll start to see people's lives transformed. The kingdom of God will transform people's lives. People will be set free from mental health issues, from addiction, from loneliness. Um, we'll start to love who God's made us to be as well. We'll stop resenting ourselves. We'll stop feeling rubbish about ourselves. We'll start to be more secure and we won't feel compelled to buy Swedish acts from Instagram. We'll be free from these things. Um, let me tell you some very quick stories about what we're seeing in the kingdom of God break out in this church right now. There's someone um, who we know and love really well. They suffered with arthritis throughout their body um, and up until uh, like a month ago and um, walked in a lot of pain with a crutch um, and then um, got prayed for on the life course weekend away. All the pains left but still walked with a crutch. We prayed uh, two weeks ago and said, um, doesn't walk with a crutch anymore. God's starting to heal their legs and the legs are actually being strengthened every day. That's the kingdom of God breaking out. There's another person here, I'm not naming names, but because this is their stories, there's another person here who was saying they were driving down the road and saw a car broken down. Back in the day, you'd pull over. Nowadays, you think, oh, you've got a mobile phone, you'll be fine. So we don't pull over anymore. God said, no, you need to pull over, pulled over, didn't know a thing about cars and said, I don't know a thing about cars, put the hand on the bonnet, the car started up straight away. But there's another person who's here tonight, sharing all your stories. This is great though, it makes me excited. Um, is a tree surgeon, had, a, had all their equipment, had a logger stolen on all their equipment and we prayed and then it came back the next week. Just like that. So it's the, it's the kingdom of God breaking out because he cares about people. He cares about healing. He cares about your mental health. He cares about your bank balance. Not because he wants you to have loads of money. He just doesn't want you to stress and he wants you to know you've got enough. He cares about your missing equipment. He cares about all these things. Like God does these things because he loves us and that is it. Who are we? We are citizens who need to be securely loved, who need to feel valued, who need to feel accepted of the kingdom of God. And we need to then realise this far more for us than we could ever imagine. And for this to happen, we need to encounter God and his love and be rooted in God's community of love. And when that happens, God promises this. In the Old Testament, there's a book called Ezekiel and he says this. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give, and, remove, and give you a heart of flesh. I'll say that again. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. We're a born again people. When you follow Jesus, you become born again. Now I know that got overused by the church in the 80s and 90s, but it's true. We're brand new people. And we're being formed into the image of Jesus, who is a true picture of true humanity and true God. The only question I guess is, are we up for it? Are we up for an encounter with God? Yeah, Becky is. Great. Let's do it now. Okay, we're going to pray. So let's all stand up. If you can. If you can't, we'll pray for you. All this stuff. I love church.